Hi there, guys and ghouls. It's me, Elvira, the queen of Halloween. And tonight, I'm having my Halloween party right here at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. After Elvira shows you the weirdest, scariest videos ever made, the terror continues with Alice Cooper live in Detroit at midnight Eastern. Elvira at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, 5 Pacific Time. So what's next? What next are you watching out for? There's a common misperception that in order to be ready for the future, we need to look out at what's next, make predictions about what might come to pass, and then list them all out and make bets about which ones might come true. This is certainly the time of year for this, as the interwebs are filled with 2017 predictions. But of course, it's true all year long as well, and maybe especially so when we're trying to think about becoming thought leaders. We want, or we want our company to be, perceived as a thought leader. And so we believe the most optimal path to get there is to try and see what's next in the future and see ourselves or our company or our product or service solving one of these futuristic challenges. What's the next fashion trend? Or what music will be popular next? Or what's next after the iPhone, somebody might say? Or what's next in search after Google? Or what's the next Facebook or the next Snapchat? What will Netflix do next? And then business bets, money bets are made on who's going to be right on what's next. Interestingly, there was a 20-year study that looked at how super experts performed versus laymen in terms of predicting. They looked at big global future events where there might be experts like economists or politicians or lawyers or doctors, and then they compared those answers and predictions from super experts to pretty much everyday folk, moms and dads and kids and whatnot. Interestingly, the lay people were on average about 30% more accurate than the experts in predicting things. There's a wonderful anonymous quote that goes, A good forecaster isn't smarter than everybody else. He or she merely has their ignorance better organized. And this is the better way. Instead of looking out for the future of what's next and predicting what you'll see come over the horizon, we can be better, we can lead thought, we can succeed more by really getting good at identifying what's already happened. What's in the immediate past that illustrates where we are? The economic, business, product, marketing, political, and fashion trends that are here. Because then you're not standing in the intersection trying to predict what's the next kind of truck that will come around the corner to mow you down in the street. You're looking at what's in front of you and to either side and becoming better at crossing the street. Getting a good, repeatable, and scalable system for tracking what's actually already happened is the best way to make sure that you're ready for what's next, no matter what it is. And that's the theme of our show today, hoping what's next will happen the way we want or knowing the present so well that we're ready for whatever next comes along. And coming up next, well, now it's time for Joe and I to open up the news that's already happened and see if we can't get good at the here and now. You ready to work in the past? Well, stay tuned for what's next and let's roll. And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 155 of PNR's This Old Marketing. 
recorded Monday, October 31st, 2016, at a very scary Halloween show. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the future perfect tense, but not the passive voice of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you? Happy Halloween. Uh, happy Halloween to you as well. And uh, I'm I'm going to do my best to get through this episode. I was up awfully yeah. <laughs> late last night watching my Cleveland Indians lose, but... You know, when we talked last week... Oh, they're still up. Well, yeah, I mean, hey, if you'd you'd have asked me last week before the series started, hey, would you go in 3-2? I'd say, absolutely, I'd take it every time. So of course, and coming back, and now come, yeah, coming back to Cleveland. Now you got to feel good about coming that. back to Cleveland. I I wanted to clinch it because the Cubs are a fantastic team, but uh, you know, it's it's you know, we're no we're no Dallas Cowboys. So. Yeah, well, my Cowboys are doing very well this year. It really Thank is. You, um, you know it's, what's amazing to me is they're winning. Um, well, yesterday was a little bit different because they had it was overtime yesterday, wasn't it? Was it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, but but they've been d- winning decisively. They sh- usually it's like it's, it's going down to yeah. the end. Somebody fumbles, some fluke play. Yes. It's generally a Dallas yes. Cowboys thing. But yes, uh, but not That's this year. Exactly they're confident. Right. Not this year. They've got no, swagger. They're confident. They're they do. It's a it's a it's a it's a bunch of young kids, and they're a good team. And you know, I mean, it's for real now. They're they're you can actually proclaim them a good team now that they're six and one. I so, think they're yeah, like I'm excited. They, I'm I've excited. seen some of the rankings and they're one or two on all. It's like they New are. England and then Dallas. Yeah. So well, we we're the top of the NFC. There's only one other team in the NFC that uh, shares the same record. So that's it. Yeah. So it's good. I'm happy. I'm, I'm a happy happy Cowboys fan. Well, yeah. there'll be a lot of Cowboys fans at the Browns game when you and I go. Next Sunday, oh, I'm sure there will, will be. be. Which will <laughs> I'm be I'm sure fun. there will be. Well, I, it was it was yeah. awfully. I was at the Browns game yesterday, watching them lose again. Uh, it was an entertaining game because the whole section behind me were doing that Jets, 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 and you know, every time they scored, which was four <laughs> times, like in the third and fourth quarter, they scored four times, like really quickly, and we didn't score any. So I thought we were at you know at a Jets home game for a while, which was oh, God. You know, which is kind of par for the course. But that's okay. I'm, I'm, you know, if we, I told you last week, if the Browns have to take one for the city of Cleveland, that's fine. We've got the Cavs, we've got the Indians. It's all good. And uh, yeah. and this is so. This is episode 155, which is our election next week. Well, next week is our is our three three year anniversary yes, date. So oh, I see. But this one, this episode yeah. is our election preview episode. Episode. That's right. Where we talk where absolutely we get- no politics. <laughs> at all exactly we won't right. talk about we're going to we're going to spare everyone uh, by not talking about any politics at all because quite frankly we I, I haven't i don't know about your facebook feed but i'm really I'm, I, I wish there were more politics in my facebook feed i really do I'm, I'm hoping that there can be something else that people can point to and really say this is why x or y candidate is unqualified to be i just wish there were more that's really that's really i don't know i mean so to seriously put a point on this one i think it was like two weeks ago when it when it crested maybe like right at right between like the second and third debate and now it's it's died down on my feed quite a bit i think everybody's just about had it i mean there's just it's, no, no, it's not it for hasn't you? died down no. on my feed. No, it hasn't died down at all on my feed. No, sadly, maybe that's because I hope maybe because yeah. that's because I keep blocking people that talk about politics. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. That. Now there's only there's only you and one other person from Malaysia that's on my feed now because I haven't blocked it. I blocked everybody else. 
So that's <laughs> just kind of how that's it right. Goes. And I never talk about politics. So <laughs> hey, before yeah. I before I talk about our sponsor, uh, yeah. we won something, didn't we? I I heard this. I heard this rumor. Yes, that we won an award. Actually. We won a very special award, Fragile. <laughs> it was very, very Isn't special. that what you put on the outside of a box? That, you put that on the outside of a box that's got glass in it, right? Yeah, or in, in Cleveland, you, you do that too. In, for anything, okay. for yeah. any package that yeah. says Fragile, just because of a Christmas story. But I, okay, what, what, was the, what was the award program that we won? A gold award for our podcast? Yes, it, it, for the Marcom Award. Marcom Awards. That's right. And we did a lot of digging on this, and I think we were the only one in the category. I'm, I'm sure we were the only one in the <laughs> we, category. We have to, Some poor judge had to listen to us ramble on and talk about sports and cowboys and the Cleveland Indians and, and then do some rants and raves on some blog post and went, all right, give them the award. Yeah. Let's, go, <laughs> let's, let's send it. a planter or something to the, to the judge just because they had to listen to us. A fruit cake, maybe, maybe a nice fruit cake. Uh, you know those uh, those deep fried Twinkies. I've been those. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some pierogi. Maybe I would like some pierogi. <laughs> maybe we should just move to our show sponsor. <laughs> oh yeah. So hey, uh, we've got the wonderful content marketing benchmark report, courtesy of our friends at Noosh. Each year, Noosh. Noosh calls through thousands of content marketing projects to gather useful insights about costs, collaboration, vendor management, and more. They've analyzed more than 175,000 projects, which are a lot of projects, actually, from companies around the world to summarize things like the average cost of a project, number of team members, time to complete, and much, much more. Download your copy of this essential benchmark now to see how your company compares to averages around the world. So get the Content Marketing Benchmark Report at cmi.media slash pnr155b. That's cmi.media slash pnr155b. Brought to you from PNR This Old Marketing Gold Award winner for the greatest podcast on the planet. There you go. Wow. <laughs> We're just making it I up I just now, threw that which in. Which is good. Yeah. I, I just threw it in just because it just felt like it. I like it. It's a great asset, though. I mean, it's a really, really cool. This piece. is actually it's, good. It's download it when you can. and it's one of those things where you're, you know, when you start thinking about the process and workflow and the things that really make content marketing happen well. It's this, 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 this is a, it's just a wonderful coverage of that. So, so good stuff. Thanks All right. Well, then, shall it. we to the news? Let's do yeah. this. We had uh, so let's we had do some this. news this week. It was we did actually have some news this week, and so the biggest story, of course, of the week, which hit all of our social book, uh, social book. What what the heck? Am so, I no, that's social right. It's feeds. not social media you know, anymore. It's, it's just yeah, it, social it's just book. social book. It's just <laughs> social book. Um, comes courtesy of Ad Week, and in a truly ironic twist, Vine, the mobile only video app. It lasted basically the startup version of six seconds, poked its head up, acquired by Twitter, said something funny, and now has disappeared into the ether. So our story comes to us courtesy of Adweek that the headline says Twitter just shut down Vine four years after buying it. And it says that it was four years ago when Twitter bought Vine for a reported $30 million. But now the relationship has fully withered. Get that, Vine withered? Oh, I, I love what they do <laughs> at Adweek good. with that just witty commentary. On a Medium blog post, Twitter revealed... I, 
Love that they posted this on a blog post. Twitter revealed that it's shutting down the looping video app in the coming weeks. You'll be able to access and download your finds, the post read. We'll be keeping the website online because we think it's important to still be able to watch all the incredible vines that have been made. You'll be notified before we make any changes to the app or the website. So what say you, Mr. Pulitzi? Is this big news or is this just another social media app that uh, goes... Well, it, well, first of all, I think we have to mention that you and I talk about this all the time. I, I feel really... So there's there's two things. I feel mostly bad for the the content creators on the platform that built a huge platform and they didn't diversify. They didn't build their build their email list like we talk about on this show because you cannot yeah. build your uh, your content ship on rented land or, or content house on rented land, whatever you want to say. And now they're they're upset. There, I mean, this was like a slap in the face, even though a lot of the industry saw this coming because Twitter needs to make changes just to, just to survive at this point. Um, there's a lot of people that uh, were in trouble. And then you, you have a lot of brands on there. I mean, even like Target has a really good uh, Vine platform, and uh, and now that's not there anymore. So it's just it's a lot of companies and a lot of individuals that put a lot of time, effort, uh, and money into Vine, and they don't have anything to show for it, or won't have anything to show. Because I think what it is is it six months they're giving. They're going to keep the platform open for six months, and then I think that's, that's it. what I heard. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. it's just going to let it go, which is unfortunate. And you think? Did you so in this Ad Week article? Did you see the founder of the company at Russ R U S? Did you see that tweet in this article? He just tweeted. Yes, yeah, so he just tweeted. Don't sell your company. That's that yeah. was the founder of Vine, uh, which yeah. is um, is unfortunate. So, I, well, it's you know, it's the it's it's the perils of Twitter these days, right? I mean, because you know, another story that we're not covering this week, um, but came out, I think, just you know, I think it was today or yesterday, actually, that said that Twitter was going to have because of the lack of interest in buying the platform, uh, at least current lack of interest in buying the platform, that they were going to have a bunch of layoffs. I think and 350 so, I heard or something like that. Yeah. I mean a significant amount. Yeah. <clears throat> so you can just see they're cutting they're cutting they're cutting they're cutting cost and and this is you know this is somebody that's you know a, a platform that's getting caught up in the in the wake of all of that and I think you know I think to your point you know it's a shame that all these content I, what baffles me I guess is why there isn't someone, you know, whether it's Facebook or whether it's, uh, you know, or, well, Instagram is Facebook, but, you know, why there's not a platform out there that can't say, let's just pull all this in. Let's just make it part of our platform. And, and it seems like the technology should be relatively straightforward to be able to do that and save a lot of these content creators, you know, profiles and works and, you know, and mm-hmm. followers and all of that. But I guess, you know, the ultimate lesson is to your point. You know, <clears throat> it's tough to do this if you don't diversify and, and you build your house on rented land because it's just, you know, you're at the whim of somebody actually selling their company to a company that's not doing very well. Well, absolutely. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the other – the pairing article, which is from Vox, which talks about how the demise of Vine is a huge cultural loss, that just hit me. I had – I learned a lot from this article. So we'll put it put it in the show. Article. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I had no idea – that there's large groups of minorities that have amazing profiles on Vine. I, I think the number one uh, user who has 16 million fans, I think it is, on, on Vine is an African-American guy. He's doing yeah. fantastic. He's got a great following. He's making a lot of money. Um, 
And it's as for some if you read the article, it's interesting because it talks about how it's, it was this very safe community that you were able to express yourself and there wasn't a lot of backlash because it did take, you know, kind of a, you know, the six second video thing, even though they expanded sort of an interesting way to go about and do it. But to your point, if you're, if you're targeting social media influencers, content creators, if you're targeting certain uh, millennial populations, certain minority populations with your, product and service company, would you not look at buying this? I mean, instead of well, just having to yeah. shut down? I mean, seriously, for one second. It's, I, yeah, no, it's, I, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing idea, right? Because you have to, I mean, $30 million, right? That's, you know, that's what they bought it for. So, assumably, they would sell it for a lot less than $30 million. Well, you know, who, a brand out there could buy that for you know couch pennies. cushion change yeah yeah exactly and 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 do something really interesting with it um and and by the way it doesn't have to be a brand it could be a media company too you know you know i don't know why we don't see somebody like a class you know buzzfeed verizon here right where's buzzfeed yep. where's you know all of these all these companies that could be out there just acquiring this and who knows maybe maybe this is something that's happening in the wings Maybe this is the one of the reasons they're shutting it down is so that they can actually put a content freeze on it so they can actually sell it off. It's possible. I don't know what. Well, but it seems like a stupid thing to do, right? I mean, if you're, you, you know, why kill all the subscriber growth if you're just going to sell it, you know? So it, 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 it seems like it, it would be a really ham-fisted way to do that, but who knows? But you're absolutely right. I don't see why there's not something here that could sort of adopt this and make it their platform, whether it's a brand or another media company or another technology. I got it. I know exactly. I know exactly who's going to buy it. It just hit me. Who's that? Justin Timberlake. Well, there you go. He went there in. He's he went to save MySpace. <clears throat> he's going to save all the social media platforms. Now we're moving on to Vine. Pretty soon it's going to be Twitter. <laughs> Uh, he, I mean, I'm sure Friendster's out there somewhere. He probably already bought the domain. I mean, it's going to happen, my friend. JT <laughs> in the house. Bringing sexy back. <laughs> He's going to bring this sexy back to Vine. I'm bringing Friendster back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're moving on. We're going to move on before he starts yeah. singing Justin Timberlake. Oh, God. Nobody All wants right, to All right. The next... That. No, nobody wants that. The next story that we're going to cover here also comes from Adweek. Um, and the headline here, which is just a fascinating one, quite frankly, why you soon may be seeing more agencies launch their own print magazine. The article opens up by saying in late September, J. Walter Thompson's innovation think tank, JWT Intelligence, very innovative name for the little section there, <laughs> took some of its proprietary data on the habits of millennial and Gen Z women and decided that rather than publishing another study bogged down by numbers and graphs, it would present the information in a way that more brands and consumers could actually understand in a women's print magazine. I'm not really sure that that's a print magazine, but we'll quibble about that in a second. So often, says the article, when you're presenting trends, it can seem somewhat intangible, and quite often brands will come to us and say, what should I do with this data, said Lucy Green, worldwide director of the Innovation Group. They've created this titled magazine called Glass, mainly to present current and potential clients with digestible stories from the benefits of co-working spaces to the evolving luxury landscape that will theoretically help brands in the agency create more effective marketing campaigns. 
But J. Walter Thompson isn't alone. There's a bunch of new agencies launching print magazines. Huge launched its own digital magazine, Magenta. RGA continues to invest resources in its own title, Future Vision. And so I ask you, because the interesting thing to me is that this is agencies doing what they absolutely do best, which is talking about themselves <laughs> um, and, and launching a print magazine. Are we going to see an agency that actually launches a print magazine that isn't talking about the life at an agency? What do you think? Boy, I would like to say I would like to say yes. Um, well, first of all, a lot of these magazines, at least according to the article, a lot of these magazines are being launched as internal communications tools. Exactly. Primarily. So they 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 themselves are internal yeah. content marketing tools, which is kind of interesting. So these what, the, what we used to call an old uh, a house organ, house organ. That's right. Them. So basically. Uh, they're you know, like JWT. They're so huge. They've got uh, you know, departments and and corporate offices all over uh, the world. This is a is a great thing to so, sort of share. Here's what we're doing. And I mean, if you look at the great Don Schultz, Don Schultz always said before you even think about marketing externally to your customers, you want to make sure that your internal communications is sound. So if you follow those best practices, fantastic. They're doing a great job. Um, I haven't seen any of these magazines. If they are like other agency magazines, I I wouldn't uh, get them mixed up for traditional magazines out there, to your point. Yeah. But I would yeah. like to think that that's the direction they should go. I mean, even a lot of the... A um, couple of these examples they were talking about, so yes, they were internal pieces, but then the sales team is starting to take them out and show, hey, here's what we can do. And it starts to help with the sales process. From that standpoint, it's fantastic because that's what a print magazine should, should be. It should it, It's the shoemaker's shoes, right? Most of the time, and we see this in the content area, uh, you've got agencies out there that don't do their own content marketing. And they should. And if you actually want to be, I mean, you and I, when we recommend a, a content marketing agency to a brand, the first thing I say is look at what they're look at their their own content marketing approach first. That's so. Right. Could this be part of that? Absolutely. I don't think. I think it's more of accidental at this point. But I like this idea because I think there's a lot of potential in this. You and I've, I mean, I've talked about it on countless blogs about the fact that there's there's an opportunity to use the post to deliver in the form of mail an amazing print product to your customers that are inundated with information online. And a lot of them, especially marketers, want to sit back a little bit and, and be disconnected and engage in something different in the print format. So I think there's an opportunity here. Do I think that, you know, can is it going to help with recruitment? Absolutely. Is it going to help with internal communications? Absolutely. Is it going to help with driving, you know, external communications, building an audience from the outside? I don't think that that's, that's what this article is about, but I would like to think that the potential is there. And, and that's what I was, you know, I, I was expecting you to say exactly that. I mean, the article itself, you know, it was funny when I when I got it as as one of our you know show idea notes in the Evernote. I was looking, I was like, oh, I this is you know this is going to be all about how. I think we talked a couple of shows ago about the uh, you know the the agency that helped launch a consumer cooking magazine and they were putting it in Trader yep. Joe's and, and and other things. And I thought it was going to be about that. And I fully expected to click on that link and read the article. And when I read the article about how these were mostly and exclusively 
uh, really internal magazines that were driving internal comms. Well, one, it made me happy that they were talking about internal comms um, from a you know from a perspective of this you know it's it's really the heart of where content marketing really you know started from an internal perspective and and how important that is. And I what I missed and what I really wanted to see and hope was hoping to see not you know not. I don't mean this um, uh, pejoratively at all. I, ju- I just mean I was hoping to actually see that they were going to talk about some creating a media property that they would actually help one of their clients sponsor or that they would actually put out into the world and would be a public-facing, consumer-facing magazine to- about something, right? And I thought that was a really interesting and innovative idea. So, and we've talked about it on this show many times, but uh, well, maybe it's, it wasn't to be. Maybe it's like uh, Seinfeld the magazine, a magazine about nothing. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe that's the way it should be. You know, I, coffee table book. Exactly. This just came through, and it's somewhat relevant. But uh, let's see. This is from Neiman Lab. I don't know if you saw this. Harvard Business Review is dropping its print issues. I to did six. see this. Did yeah. you see that? Yeah. Um, I did I, see this. Well, I thought that was interesting because it kind of makes the case for the opportunity for agencies and brands to get in this because it is very difficult. The reason why Harvard Business Review is dropping from 10 print issues a year to six, which, by the way, is in 2017, it hurts a little bit because the print, <clears throat> and especially for you, I mean, you're an HBR junkie. It's it's a, yes. it's a special thing to a lot of people to get the print version of, the, of, of HBR, and now they're going to every other month. And that opens a huge opportunity. That's it's not just HBR. It's time. It's it's go down down the list of Newsweek. Go down the list of the the type brands, media brands that are cutting their circulation. They're cutting their frequency, or they're getting rid of it altogether. That opens an opportunity for agencies and brands to think a little bit differently. So anybody listening to this, there's a huge opportunity there. Not that we want to start with the what. We don't want to say, hey, we want to do a print magazine. Right. We want to start right. with what the heck are we talking about? And why are we doing it? But if you're looking at an opportunity there to cut through the clutter, uh, boy, I think this is an opportunity. So, yeah, I absolutely think it is. Please well. listen so. to me. No, please <laughs> listening to me, especially about what? print, because he loves print. Oh. He loves print. I probably almost I, as much as he loves his Cleveland teams. He loves print. We should we should like start a, you know in a, a, a magazine for like the Dallas Cowboys. I'm sure there is one. Is there one? There is. Oh th- no, there are many. There are many. There, are, there are, yeah, there are many. There are many blogs. There are many uh, magazines. There, yes. There, there's a whole ecosystem of an economy around the Dallas Cowboys, as you might have, as you might expect. Okay, that was a bad idea. To, to, m- many of which I am subscribed to. So I, I happen to know of these things. <laughs> you are you are keeping yeah. the entire industry afloat, uh, my friend. Exactly. Yeah. There is there is that. I am a bit of a junkie when it comes to that. That is for sure. All right. Moving on to our next story here, and this one comes to us courtesy of FIP.com. And it's how IDG, the research house, approaches their editorial strategy. This was a really interesting article, I thought. The article opens up by saying, Editorial strategy has been made into a science at IDG, the world's largest tech publisher. It's something that they spend a lot of time working on and continuously adjusting, according to John Gallant, chief content officer at IDG US Media. The article goes on to explain in detail, quite frankly, um, the editorial strategy that they have, their processes, how they work with content. And just a fascinating case study, really, of how a big publisher works with editorial strategy. I thought it was very, very timely and appropriate for marketers to look at this. What do you think? Well, I think that 
if you are on the brand side today, I mean, you're eating this information up. I mean, this is how a yeah, professional exactly. publisher goes to market, how they look at each of their so, – so basically the article goes through, okay, we're going to take all this data. We're going to take all the listening points, posts that we have, all this research we're going to put in. We've got a number of different personas, and we've got to make sure that we are the leading informational resource for each one of those personas. And then they have a daily e-newsletter for each of their audiences, which I think is interesting because they say in this article, and as John says here, John uh, Gallant says, that they want their audiences to wake up and they're going to solve their problems like first thing in the morning. And they do that through an email newsletter. So it's just interesting to hear that. Um, and this is a technology publisher, well-respected technology publisher, looking at how you can uh, deliver that through an email experience that links to the online experience. So that was interesting. The second thing that was interesting is they're doing the same exact thing that brands are doing out there because they're driving a lot of their new revenue through uh, affiliate commissions, which I yeah. think is interesting as well. So they're they're looking for, okay, of our buyers, so it looks like, I mean, I'm going to say this wrong, Robert, but I wrote down a little chart here. It says, okay, we're going to figure out where their interests are, like what their interests are as a human being, and then what products they need information on. And we're going to deliver the information to help them buy those products, and we're going to deliver the information to help them with their interests and with the problems that they have with their pain points. And then our goal with that is to deliver readership. So we're going to increase that readership, and we're going to deliver them amazing knowledge. And then we have multiple products that we are going to serve them by. One is through those affiliate commissions I just talked about. And the other one is through sponsorship, events, and everything else. So it looks like they have four to five to six different revenue lines coming from a loyal audience. And of course, that's what we talk about with it's, it's content marketing right there. It is. I mean, yeah, it's the, it is basically content marketing laid bare of, you know, I mean, we've said it, <clears throat> we've said it a million times. The world has said it a million times. Content marketing is your brand not acting like a media company, but actually operating as a media company. And this is it. This is this is the you know you peel back the you know the skin and there's your skeleton. There's your backbone and the bones and the blood vessels and everything that sort of makes it flow. This is exactly it. This is how a publisher, a media company operates with multiple lines of value, delivering value to their consumers through the use of content driven experiences. And there you go. There you have it. I mean, this one. You know, it it was funny. I was reading this article, going, "Yeah, I've, I've, oh, I've talked to a client about that. Oh, I've talked to a client about that. Oh, I've talked to. I, I mean, I just found myself going, "Yep, yep, yep." Mm-hmm. You know, and just over and over again. And I thought it was just wonderful, wonderfully affirming to see a publisher actually go through what they actually do in such detail and the way that they approach it and how much it matched what we talk about. It's just, it was great. Well, it's just, it's interesting because now, even though we've been talking about this for a long time, now you can actually go into a media company and you can see them having conversations about what products they're going to launch, even knowing that a lot of the products that they're going to launch are products that their advertisers and sponsors already are serving the market with. So they're, they're, yes. we've, I mean, what it's been what for the last 10 years where advertisers have become competition to publishers and now it's working the other way where publishers are they're basically fighting back and they're saying, well, we're going to have to launch products and services and I'm sorry, this is the way. So it's just interesting. Now the business models are overlaying each other. They're pretty similar. Um, it's, it's, it's a long way to go. Don't get me wrong, but at least the conversations are happening where we're almost there. 
No, it's it, well, you know, I mean, it, it it tees up a little bit of my rant later on, but but I mean, that's such an important point, which is the way that they're adapting. You know, they're seeing the competition emerge from brands, from other media companies, from individuals, from small blogs, from, you know, I mean, it wasn't so long ago that BuzzFeed was just a tiny little, you know, ankle biting, you know, blog. It wasn't so long ago that Huffington Post was just a tiny little ankle biting blog. And all of a sudden, the explosive growth of those audiences can actually enable, you know, a new immense competitor for you, you know, overnight. And so the smart publishers, just exactly to your point, are diversifying and they're getting into, quite frankly, the business that the product companies are in, which is offering products and services, and by the way, agency media services and all kinds of things to add value to what? The audience that they serve. And if we just look at that for a second, we go, wow, that's there's a publisher that's doing something really interesting and innovative in the way that they're pivoting and they're starting to compete. And then you go and then you, you know, you want to talk to a brand or a product company that's having some difficulty in making a business case for content marketing. You go, look, just just what's happening across the street at the media company that you're spending all this money advertising Uh with. And you're spending all this money. And guess what? They're diversifying into your business. And so if it, you know if that doesn't m- compel you to move in some direction then you know, nothing will whether whether that you know whether that com- compel to move is to acquire them to partner with them to compete with them or to copy them in some ways you we have to start to move in this direction and this and and looking at at publishing companies that are doing this even though there are a million other companies out there doing it is is a you know is just well anyway it's it's a, it's an important thing to pay attention. Do to. you ever go into one of these <clears throat> large brands and get in the conversation, whether it happens from your prompting or just happens naturally, uh, as a defense mechanism to say, hey, we, you know, we're not going to necessarily put all our eggs in this content marketing approach basket, but. This is where we see the market going, and this is where there might be an opening for a competitor to come in. So what, this is what we should do from a from a content marketing standpoint. Are you getting to that point, or is that not happening? Well, I do when I talk to you know it's 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 a it's the exception, not the rule. But I definitely have that conversation when I'm talking to certainly the C-suite. You know, not as much when I'm talking to the practitioners because they're mostly trying to just make sure that they keep the lights. They on. keep a job. Um, yeah, yeah. And but when I talk to the C-suite, there's a really interesting thing that happens. I say, you know what? Let's forget about marketing for just a second. Let's forget about optimizing the number of leads or your shopping cart or <clears throat> figuring out people are more loyal or all, all that. I said, let's just stop that for a second. I said. You can see the world around you is vertically integrated, right? So the idea of platforms are the big hot topic these days, right? Whether it's Airbnb or Facebook or, you know, it's all about vertically integrated platforms making money in lots of different ways. And they can see that. And you go, okay, great. Well, that's that's a wonderful thing. And yay, they're they're doing that. I want to talk about two things with you. I said the first thing is are all your teams, you look at them all in, in as an aggregate. One is, you know, product, marketing, customer service sales, PR, brand. I said, are any of those people creating less content than they did last year? Or are they creating more? And they're saying, um, well, they're creating more. Of course, they're creating more. They're creating way more. I said, great. So that's a cost. So your costs are going up. Yes, of course they are. 
doesn't it then make sense to at least get your arms around that strategically? Mm -hmm. If this is the thing that you're producing more of than even your product, doesn't it just make sense to do it in a smart way, to do it in a thematically connected, interesting way that at least starts to optimize your business? And and that's a and, and they go yes and they nod and okay, you go great. So we've made an argument for content marketing strategy or content strategy really to be, you know, to be to worth as worth something. Okay, great. Now that we've established that, here's the second thing. Let's establish for a second that content marketing isn't going to be more efficient isn't actually going to be cheaper than advertising or PR or branding or all the things that you're doing on television or radio. Let's assume that it's not. I said, but isn't it worth some amount of money to actually diversify the portfolio of your spend as you see it all happening around you, the publishers that are changing, the product companies that are changing, your competitors that are changing? Doesn't it make sense to invest in this even if if the only benefit you get out of it is insight into your customers, where you can reach them more effectively. Even if the only benefit you get out of doing a publication, a piece of content marketing, a, an owned media experience, is to understand where those people are living and breathing and what they care about, it, something just so small. I said, isn't it even worth just thinking about that? And of course, the answer to that is yes, too. So if we now we've sort of gotten over the hump of saying, should we do it? Now the only conversation to have is, how much should we do, right? How, what's the investment level that's appropriate for our business? Because those are just two no-brainer arguments to me for why to do at least something in this space. Because otherwise, what will you evolve into if advertising and PR and brand and all that stuff goes away? Like if it just disappears tomorrow, what, what will you have left? And it's, you know, it's not that, you know, as I've been saying in a talk lately, it's not that serving audiences is necessarily better. You know, I'm not going to sit here and be Pollyanna and unicorn about it and say that it's going to be magic for you. What I'm going to tell you is it may be the only thing you have left. If advertising goes away and the efficacy of advertising goes away, which we all know that it's changing, but we don't know what. But even if it's only to mitigate that what the change of advertising is going to be, we should do something. Mm-hmm. And at that point, now we're just arguing about you know how much. Well, I'm, it's it's interesting. Uh, I made that case with somebody regarding social media channels, and they were saying, "Look, uh, you want to build your subscribership on those channels, and 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 have that be a native experience and whatever." And I said, "It's fine." I said, "But just in case, just in case the whole thing shuts down tomorrow, why don't you diversify right. to email? Just to, you know, it doesn't have to. Cha- you don't have to change anything you're doing except for some calls to action." Just right. in case Vine happens to shut down, you know? <laughs> or Facebook happens. I mean, look, we all think Facebook isn't is immune to all of this, but face. Let's let, let's be really clear: there is no one that is immune to this. That you know, it, it you know, it is just as likely that Facebook will fall on its face as it is any other company. And so, you know, it may take longer. It may it may be much more supernova like. It may not be. It may become the sort of platform. You know, any millions of things could happen. Just at the theme of the show, you know, instead of making our bets, let's understand what we're, what is happening now and make changes that adapt to to what you know where we are, rather than sort of trying to predict. You know, of you know, and 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 make these huge bets where where we're betting on a platform being around like you did with Vine and you watch it disappear. Just look at all the business models that are tied to Facebook and that Facebook literally oh, controls right now. You can start with the majority of media companies you could start with right then. You could start with a lot of brands as well. 
that drive their, yeah. their retail through that channel and their advertising. Um, it's scary. It's scary. It, the, the power I, the, that they can wield right now with a, with a, a, a number of, of lar- very large companies. Yeah. I mean, and look, I, you know, and, and it's not a fair comparison, I know, but I can remember a day in 19, let's call it 1997, 1998, 1996, you know, those three years as the internet was sort of getting its legs underneath it. I can remember a time when people were saying basically AOL is the internet. AOL is, will be the end. It's going to be the biggest media company ever in the history of the planet. It's going to be that huge. And, you know, the number of disks that you were getting in the mail and the pervasiveness of AOL was, I mean, they made a movie called You've Got Mail. And, you know, I mean, it, it was the pervasiveness of AOL and the culture was so strong and how quickly that came undone. And, 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 and don't think that it can't happen to a Facebook because it totally can. It totally can. Totally. Totally. <laughs> totally can. Totally can. Totally. Totally. It totes. It totes can. Totes. It totes can. Totes. Okay. We have a sponsor we should talk about. We should. <laughs> we should. Absolutely. We love our sponsors. This week, thanks again to our good friends at Curelate. They have a new... You know, last week they did another visual guide. This one's an even better. I don't want to say even better. Can I? It's, can I also just say that we have our sponsors have the coolest names. Curalate's a cool name. Curalate's a, a cool name. It's, it's, a, it's cool. Yeah, it's a cool name. I don't forget them. I, and and yeah. that's that's all I care about. That as long as I can remember them, then everyone else is going to be just roll along there with me. Uh, this week we have the Millennials Guide: Engaging a Generation of Visual <laughs> Buyers. We have the fourteen ways. Through this visual guide, 14 – I didn't know there were 14 ways. There are 14 ways to reach new millennial customers. I'm telling you right only now. Only 14? Four, well, these are only the 14 that matter because they're the only ones that are in okay. these gu- this guide. But um, maybe there's 15, but we had to save space. But what are you going to do? Okay. There's no downplaying the impact that changes in social, mobile, and digital channels have had on brands. These changes have forced a profound shift in how marketers reach millennials, yet marketers have millennials pegged as a moving target, not only difficult to reach, but also impossible to build lasting relationships with. Ain't that the truth, right? Those pesky millennials. (laughs) They just won't stay still. I'm sorry. I got totally and off these children that you spit on as they try to change their world. They're immune to your consultations. Yeah. Pokemon Go. Of what they're going yeah, to. It's, <laughs> it's Pokemon Go, the millennial edition. Yeah. You got to catch them all. In this guide, <laughs> learn how to excite and inspire 14 different millennial personas with lifestyle Ooh. content. I know. That's what we're talking about. 14 different millennial personas with lifestyle content and how to use those engagements to make smarter decisions across your entire business. Download the guide now at cmi.media slash pnr155a. That's cmi.media slash pnr155a to get this fantastic new guide from Curalate. And thanks to our sponsor this week for giving us a, a great piece of content to work with. We appreciate it. Really good. Yeah, really good piece of content there. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, you know, despite us having a little bit of fun here, it's, it's really good. I mean, d- d- really targeting young people is a, is a, is a you know, I- increasingly difficult. And this is a, it's a really good piece of content for that. So, but it would so be good if there, w- if there was a Pokemon Go edition. <laughs> it would make it a lot easier because you and I go into a lot of companies. They say, we got to reach millennials. I mean, it's like, we got to just download this app. And for yeah. like a monthly fee of five ninety nine, you can catch them all. Yeah. Sorry. 
But it gets into the whole, like, which ones are the really rare ones? Oh, you know? I know, man. I got Super yeah. Diamond uh, Plus Edition or whatever. I don't know. I don't play it. Yeah. So. You go into the coffee shop and I can't the, tell you. Yeah. PNR, the soul right. marketing, is it's a hot. What, what's a hot spot? What, where, do you, where do you load up your Pokemon? I forget. No, I have no I idea. I thought you played right. it. Let's, I thought you were hip to, hip to that. I am not hip to what the kids are dancing to. No. That is absolutely the case. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite part of the show. If we have not been ranting and raving enough for you this episode, it is time for our rants and raves sections where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us, oh, feel like, you know, that bus coming around the corner is going to hit us. Or, quite frankly, like we're catching that next train to the future. So we love it so much. Um, and I am not going first. You because are not. For once in a million years, I don't have the Tom this year. Uh, so uh, it's all you, I can't friend. believe it. I'm doing the soul marketing. So I'm going yeah. first. I've got a very brief rave. Uh, my good friend David Spark, he runs Spark Media Solutions. He sent me this video, which I thought was really uh, cool. It's actually a really good piece of of uh, marketing for you or, or content marketing to, to help you justify spend in content marketing. So you put together this video about five minutes long called five terrifying consumer behaviors that will, will scare you into content marketing. It's this Halloween themed uh, video. And I'm going to share a couple of these with you. And we, we know a lot of these, but it's nice if you have uh, a CMO or a CEO, you're at a small company and they don't understand some of these uh, behavior changes that have been taking place. This is really it's a really good uh five minute section and, and david goes through and gives an example of each one and and how he's seen this work so like number one 90 percent of b2b buyers never respond to cold outreaches which is interesting right so if you're yeah if yeah, you're cold yeah. calling people you're probably wasting 90 percent of your money so that's interesting um yeah, the for b2b there are seven up to 17 people in that can influence one purchase that's Wow. Isn't that something? Wow. That is something where you really have to make up your mind, understand all those people, what they're do what where they're at in the process, and if you're gonna target them with content, really understand which persona you're targeting. Uh online buyers, fifty for fifty seven percent of the buying process, uh, online buyers go through before they contact a sales rep. We've heard that one before, but I always like yeah, that. Exactly. One. That's yeah. interesting. It's a good one. Three fourths of all internet users never go to page two of Google. <laughs> Which is interesting. Arnie Keen, Arnie, Ar- Arnie Keen's got a great one on that. He, he tells the joke. He says, you know, the best place to hide a dead body is page two. Of oh, Google that's results. that's so funny. <laughs> and uh, this is interesting. Uh, it goes to our point about email. Email lists, this is his fifth one. <clears throat> email lists deteriorate 22.5% each year. So what he talks about is if you're not nurturing that list on a regular basis and growing that list through new content offers, your email list is in trouble. So just you know, very simple stats uh, that are true uh, that he goes through with samples, and we'll put that in the show notes, and you can share it uh, share it with your team. But uh, thanks to David for uh, for putting that together. That's awesome. Yeah, I got a chance to see it. It's it's really it's really cute. It's fun. It's, it's really he does a good job. Yeah, I've really, been I've been really he's he's a, like a roving reporter at a lot of the events I go to, and he's always there. We sit down and have a cup of coffee and and talk stuff. So it's uh, he's a good nice. good dude. Yeah. Nice. And you have nice. something? All right. Well, I do. I have a quick rant and a quick rave. Um, and so uh, quickly on the rant here, and this isn't really a rant as much as it is just, you know, I want to make sure that that we also have the – this would be the counterpoint, right? So in the, in the point, this would be the counterpoint. Um, this was a blog post that seemed to hit a lot of inboxes. I had it sent to me a couple of different ways. Um, 
and the blog is from thoughtcatalog.com. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a blog post that's entitled, Please, Please, for the Love of God, Do Not Start a Podcast. Um, and the blog opens up, and I'll just read the very, very introduction of it. It says, basically, at a conference earlier this year, Jordan Harbinger, the founder of Art of Charm, a top 50 podcast on iTunes, got up and said something that I thought was brave. He told the room of entrepreneurs, authors, and public personalities that they should probably not start a podcast. He says, and it goes on to explain in this blog post, why not, why you shouldn't start a podcast. And basically the tone, and, and I don't have any trouble with the points that he makes in this. It's the really the, the point that he's making, I think, gives the wrong impression. And I want to just sort of provide a counterpoint to it, which is he opens up the article by basically saying, because, quote unquote, lots of other people are doing it, is a really poor decision to do anything. And what I want to make the point of is, is that it's also a really poor reason not to do something. Um, so just a quick story, if I can, which when I, I, when I was working in Hollywood, my early days in Hollywood, I can remember a friend of mine who his job was to read submitted screenplays to the agencies and the producers. Uh, and basically because you know the agencies and producers didn't have time to read them all, they, you would get hired as a reader. And you would read it and you would do a book report on it. And basically they would read the book report and see if they wanted to do anything with the script. He showed me one day, we went to lunch one day, and he showed me one day the room, which was his reading list. And when I say room, it wasn't his room for reading. It was a room of scripts. And it was basically not a 100 scripts, not thousands of scripts. It was tens of thousands that are submitted on a quarterly basis. He had to, and he basically, he had to go through them. And he basically, he said, my to-do list is infinite. I will never finish all of these because that, you know, you just simply can't. And, but read them all, you know, and, and work through them. He did. And why was because his bosses knew that somewhere in that pile, somewhere in that pile could be lurking the next Quentin Tarantino or the Slumdog Millionaire or whatever script that was going to be the next big hit would be. And now here's the thing. It's different today, of course, because today it's all about self-publishing and we don't need Hollywood as much anymore. We don't need the record companies. We don't need these companies. But the same argument, basically, don't write a screenplay because it's just going to go into some pile, you know, into a 10,000 room, you know, a script room. It could be made against anything these days, right? So you want to write a book? Nah, you shouldn't do it. There are 750,000 books on Amazon. Yours isn't going to be good enough to rank in the top half million. Write a song? Don't do it. Because you know how hard it is to make money writing music these days and becoming a rock star. You're never going to have. Would you like to act in movies? Don't forget about it. Movie acting is you're never going to make it in Hollywood. You want to make a movie? There are more than 2,500 films that are made every single year and released. And that, that doesn't even count all the ones that are shot and never released. So don't do that because you'll never, ever do anything. You want to start a business? Hundreds of thousands of businesses start every single year. And the vast majority of startup businesses fail. And so if you follow this advice, which is basically because everybody wants to do it, you shouldn't do it, it's a bad piece of advice. And I understand that, that what he was doing there was basically because he goes on to really talk about all of the things that annoy him about the bad podcasts that are out there, right? The voice, the quality is bad. The intros are bad. The, the way that they get guests are bad. The way that, you know, there's lots of, I just, I wish he could have tweaked that to make it more positive rather than a negative. You know, in other words, if you want to be good at podcasting, here's what you should do. Because quite frankly, when I look at all those things, absolutely, they're about executing it well. 
And But what I want to say is if you read something like that, stop, don't look at it like you shouldn't do it. Don't be discouraged by it because if you look at those things, look at the things, those things, those best practices, those things that you can learn as what you won't do, not as reasons not to do it. All right, so that's the end of my rant. I, I just wanted to make sure that I, because th- those kind of articles discourage people from doing creative things and I that bums me out. Well, I, so, you know, just to comment on that, I read that article. And the way that I yeah. took it was, um, don't do it because you probably don't have anything better to say than anything else out there. That's how I took which, it, which which, which wasn't exactly what he said, message. but that's how. Right. As I'm like, well, I, well, are you kidding me? There's a lot of people that could tell a different story. It, exactly. Don't. Yeah, I I I agree with your take. I mean, I I there's a lot of reasons not to do a podcast, but I don't think they hit on the right ones. So. That's right. That's right. And 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 it's, the the reason to not do it is because you're not gonna you know you can't you know you you think of the guy with the bowler hat and the big cigar going you're never gonna be anything in this town, kid. You know, I mean that's the that's not the reason to not do something. You've got to follow your heart. You got to do what you anyway. I get off on another rant there, but so my quick rave. Um, is something that is a new launch that I just wanted to throw a big shout out to. Um, Paul Ratzer, who, of course, is the founder CEO of PR 2020, a wonderful agency in Cleveland. And he launched a new thing called the Marketing AI Institute. And you can see it at marketingaiinstitute.com, and we'll put it in the show notes, of course. He opens up his launch blog by saying basically he's seen a lot of stuff around the artificial intelligence movement and especially as it pertains to marketing and he's been inspired and so inspired in fact that he's basically launching this new sort of thought leadership centralized place where you can find all these wonderful things about marketing AI and I just think it's a really interesting experiment I am I just could not wish him the more of the best and and I think it's a really interesting thing so if you're into marketing if you're into artificial intelligence if you're into sort of machine learning and those kinds of things go check it out because it's just really really cool and I wanted to give it a big shout out absolutely so big yeah congratulations Paul and uh, Paul in, and uh, his institute's going to be partners with us at intelligent content conference this year so of course, yeah. Paul is speaking, and we've got a, a marketing um, uh, artificial intelligence machine learning workshop that we're doing this year, among other things. The theme is all around machine learning. So, of course, when we saw this, we reached out to Paul and said, Paul, come on board. Come on board the happy <laughs> Joe and Robert train, and uh, we're going to go. We're going to have some fun talking a little bit of artificial yeah. intelligence. And I, love, and I love the fact that he didn't let the fact that there were a million other sites like this out there discourage him from launching something. It's like, oh, there's a lot of websites out there. I don't know if you want to do that. Shocking Uh, how much content there is out there. It's amazing. It's amazing. Oh, milk everywhere. Just spilled everywhere. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's an inside joke, folks. Um, (laughs) I have this old marketing. This is... I don't even know what to do. I haven't had this old marketing in like five months. All right. I'm going to do it, though. I'm going to... Uh, working like a champ. All right, so you know Robert. Uh, I do. I had, to, <laughs> I had to look a couple of times at this example because I thought we covered it. But believe it or not, we have never used Think with Google as a this old marketing example. 
So Think with Google is Google's regular publication targeted to marketing marketing and advertising practitioners. And I first heard about the example when Google came out with their Moments of Truth research. If you remember that, back in 2011, of course, <laughs> everybody, everybody like, heard about every that. Single, yeah, Who right, didn't hear about it, that yeah. one? I mean, it was yeah. funny because all of 2012, you and I saw the zero moment of truth yeah. chart in just about yeah. every PowerPoint deck. every presentation yeah so the you know they 2011 they released the zero moment of truth part of their moments of truth study and basically the whole zero moment of truth thing was 88% of consumer uh, consumers research before they buy consulting an average of 10.4 online sources so basically they're making the decision without consulting any sales rep any other human being they're doing it on their own all the consumer control is going back to uh to the person to the consumer and that means we've got to be smarter about the way we communicate um and the consumer is armed with all this data and information and and all that good stuff so from there google went on um kept on studying this more moments of truth aspect and then expanded it into think with google now here's what google says uh, on their site about think with google programs says compelling data big ideas creative juice put google research and insight behind your thinking. Think of us as your resource for everything from high-level insights to deck-ready stats to useful tools. Here you will find the data we're exploring and the trends we're tracking along with forward-looking perspectives and behind-the-scenes look at digital campaigns across industries, platforms, and audiences. We hope you find it helpful and visit often. A nice little mission statement for them. They heavily focus their calls to action on their email newsletter. Two every every page has at least two CTAs to the email newsletter, so I think that's super interesting that Google does this, and right. uh, and then you you know you mentioned this as well when I go around speaking their research and uh, think with Google is cited a lot, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot. Usually every event somebody brings out something, so this program is really working for them. It's a five year old example, so uh, really br- happy to bring thing with think with Google. Uh, to our this old marketing example, and uh, they're helping marketers be better marketers, and and of course are helping uh, them buy more PPC revenue for Google as well, so they can dominate the earth. But that has nothing. <laughs> nice. That wasn't in the mission statement, Robert. <laughs> I was looking at uh, the end of the world Armageddon. Nothing about Mordor or anything find, like that. Or yeah, the, couldn't the find anything. Or, yeah. yeah. You know. the, the, by the way, it, it reminds me. Did you see uh, Tom Hanks was on? I think it was Jimmy Kimmel. The other night, Jimmy Kimmel or Colbert, uh, it's probably Fallon. I don't know which one he was on. He's on a late night show, and he's a Cleveland Indians fan. <laughs> you just went through, you went through them all. Okay, on a, yeah? He was on a late night yeah. show. I don't know which one <laughs> yeah. he was on right. one, but he was talking about how he wanted the Cleveland Indians to beat the Chicago Cubs. He says, but there is one ending that I will take as an alternative. And he says he he painted this whole picture about here's the end of the game. It's a fly ball. The ghost of Larry Doby and the ghost of Rocky Calavito are coming out and all this other stuff. And he says, and then locusts rained, rained down, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the earth opens up, and it's the end of the world. He said, besides the Indians winning, the only other outcome I'll take is if it's the end of the world. <laughs> so I'm like, you know. I dig it. All right. I, I mean, yeah. who who doesn't want that ending? <laughs> well, you know, they're they're you know, we, we'll see how the election Whatever. comes out. Maybe. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. So, um, so what do you got going on this week? I am as we speak. Uh, I am in the lovely city of uh, Toronto, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, um, 
And I'll be speaking uh, tomorrow, actually, at the Playback Online Conference. It's a conference for television producers and for uh, uh, filmmakers and basically talking about all things content marketing and the, how the world is changing and how the world of media companies are changing and you know native advertising and all kinds of stuff. So I'm keynoting that conference tomorrow afternoon. Uh, then I head back and I am then heads down before I see you next week um, and all of our shenanigans that are going to go on. I got to tell you, I'm very excited. Very excited. It's going to be great. It's going to be so much fantastic. So yeah, this week for me, I mean, besides uh, hopefully uh, ushering in the uh, the the World Series champion Cleveland Indians, uh, knock on wood. uh, I'm I've got a couple webinars this week. We're going to have a a good time getting some stuff done, and then you and I go out on our our roadshow tour. Uh, The master classes start in. Where is this? Is it Washington, D.C., and then Chicago it's Washington, next week? D- yep, Washington. Yeah, the Washington, then Chicago. So we'll be election night in Chicago. So we'll be, we'll be watching the returns from there. And, I, you know, I got to tell you, man, I am I'm so excited this year for Masterclasses. I, you know, as you know, I, we, well, we definitely put our hearts and soul into, into the curriculum, into the, into the thing. But this year I've, 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 I've put a little extra time into figuring out some cool exercises and some, you know, a different kind of format. So I'm, I'm really excited about the Masterclasses this year. Uh, Content Marketing, C-O-N-F. That's uh, contentmarketingconf.com, and we uh, we want to see you there. So uh, if you would like to see Robert and I out on the road uh, in six different cities, what are they? Washington, D.C., Chicago, Boston, Chicago. New York, San Francisco, and Dallas. And Dallas. There you so go. So we want to we see you there. So um, looking forward to it, my friend. Yeah. All right. I am as well. And that is it for 155 for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, we do hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your podcatcher is. And when you subscribe or leave us a review, won't you let us know at hashtag this old marketing on the Twitter uh, while it still exists, by the way. Um, and so we'd love to thank you personally for any and all of that. That's how much we appreciate you as a subscriber to our little one hour of shenanigans here. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. We love those examples of this old marketing. Tweet us up, won't you? Hashtag again, this old marketing. And or, you know, you can send us an email at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links that we talked about today will be available in the show notes, available on the show that we publish on Monday night, and, of course, in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it is your story to tell. You tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.